welcome to the Book of Mormon Evidence podcast with host Rod Meldrum. This week's Come Follow Me supplemental study is Lesson 5, 1 Nephi 16-22, through 22, I Will Prepare the Way Before You, with guest Kay Godfrey, epic historian on Joseph Smith. Well, we're excited about having our next guest here. Uh, we have Kay Godfrey. We've uh, been bringing different experts in all kinds of different fields. This is a little bit different field for Kay, actually, because uh, his expertise is actually the life of the prophet Joseph Smith. That's correct. But, uh, but he also is uh, very knowledgeable and has uh, had the opportunity to uh, make numerous trips over to Israel and Jordan and, and uh, in Egypt and so forth. And, and uh, so he knows a lot about the topography and the, the cities and, and the Book of Mormon about that area as well. Uh, this is from uh, in, in 1 Nephi, in chapter 2, a family leaves, they go into the wilderness. Uh, Lehi sends the boys back to get to the place. They have to go back to Jerusalem and uh, in doing so. Um, then we know that uh, after they make several attempts and so forth, they, they retreat back, they, they go back and they get gold and the silver and the basically the wealth of Lehi and his family. And, and, and then they bring that back. I wanted to talk about that for just a second here. So, but, but maybe before that, let, let's kind of just talk about Jerusalem as, a, as kind of a general overview. Okay. Probably best to even expand it to Israel for just a bit. Yeah. Um, Israel, you know, basically the size of uh, New Jersey for all intents and purposes. In a matter of three or four hours, you can go from the, from the north to the south, and it takes you an hour and a half or less to go from um, the uh, West Bank to the, to the Med. These caves and these cave cities of sorts are going to be found uh, more to the south. Up in the Galilee, you're not going to find an awful lot of that, although there is some, there is some of that around the Sea of Galilee. But the farther south you go and you get down to Qumran and you get down into uh, some of the, uh, the uh, Negev and the desert areas, you're going to find cave cities, cave cities, significantly large cave cities. The challenge we have as we go back to Book of Mormon times and 600 BCs is we can't even find really evidence of uh, Christ. <laughs> During his time, uh, most of his stuff is 20 feet underground. And mm -hmm. so when we take and go to Israel, and my background is historic archaeology and anthropology, so I'm really interested in the digs that are going on, have, have participated in a number of digs in Israel. Um, you've got to get down to the Byzantine area, and you're talking 330 A.D. C.E., um, before you're going to get close enough to Christ stuff to be able to feel comfortable that this Byzantine church is actually built on the site of whatever it is that Christ did, some miracle or something. So to go back 600 B.C. Um, <laughs> is, is even more of a challenge. Yeah. But it's not, it's not without its evidences. Uh, we can go back 2000 B.C. and find evidence of Sodom and Gomorrah and its location, yep. uh, we can find some evidences here and there of Abraham. And so, yeah, it's just a matter of uh, honing in a little bit. And the Book of Mormon helps us kind of hone in a little bit. Um, just outside of, of, of Jerusalem, five miles, is a very, very unique archaeological site. One that I visited on a number of occasions, and I know you've been there too. Mm -hmm. a, a place called Bethlehem. Um, 
I wrote up a little paragraph or two that kind of is an introduction to Betlehem because it is a really unique site. At the time of this site, um, it had a, could have had a population of over 30,000. Wow. The population of Jerusalem at the same time was 20. So that shows you that this uh, little site outside of Jerusalem proper was very, very significant. It was a significant site on the road that went from Gaza to Jerusalem, mm -hmm. and it was built right off the road. Now let, let me let me just yeah. ask you, Bet Lehi, what yeah. what does that mean? And that's that's a really interesting story. Bet Lehi, or Lehi, as we sometimes call it, is um, kind of means a, the jawbone. Jawbone. Mm -hmm. That's what that translates to, and it has some significance with Samson, perhaps even mm -hmm. uh, the jawbone of an ass, and uh, uh -huh. and all of the things that Samson got involved with. This particular site, just five miles out of Jerusalem. Uh, might even have some significance with Melchizedek and Abraham yes. paying tithes and offerings there. But our, but our focus is, is perhaps it might have something to do with the Book of Mormon. So can I spend a minute and tell you a little bit about the site? <laughs> Absolutely. Now, now, both of us have been to this site, oh, yeah. and it's just amazing to see what, has, what has happened and how, how it was discovered is even pretty amazing. Let me, let me go, ahead and, go ahead and tell us this story. Yeah, this, is, just, this is fantastic. I just want to give you a page of something I put together as we take people out there on occasion. In 1961, Israeli soldiers under, unearthed a cave that had inscriptions and drawings, including the oldest known Hebrew writing of the word Jerusalem, and Jehovah. These have been dated, and they approximately date, surprisingly enough, 600 BC. That dating process was done by Dr. Frank Cross Moore. He's from Harvard University. He dated a couple of lines of writings that were on the cave walls inside this subterranean city, and it said, I am Jehovah thy Lord. I will accept the cities of Judah, and I will redeem Jerusalem. And then there's another line that says, Absolve us, O merciful God. Absolve us, O Jehovah. And next to that is an etched out little boat. There's a little boat, and two men are standing on it, and they look like they're paddling away as fast as they can go. Okay, so it's kind of, kind of interesting. Um, while investigating the cave, Dr. Joseph Gannat, he's from the University of Haifa, he met a Bedouin who told him about the remains of an ancient oak tree about a quarter of a mile away where, according to the Bedouin legends and traditions, a prophet named Lehi blessed and judged the people of both Ishmael and Judah. The Bedouin told Dr. Gannat that Lehi had lived many years before Muhammad and that Arab people had built a wall of rocks around this uh, particular area, this where this tree is, protecting it as a very sacred spot, long known by the Arab inhabitants as Bet Lehe, or meaning the home of Lehi. Home of Lehi. Yeah, the home of Lehi. Um, how did we get engaged in this, and how did it? How did we think that this might have something to do with the Book of Mormon? Kind of goes to Cleon Skousen. It's kind of an interesting story. Dr. Gannat shared his information with W. Cleon Skousen, whom he had met while studying anthropology at the University of Utah and teaching at Brigham Young from 1970 to 1975. In 1983, Dr. Skousen, along with Dr. Glenn Kimber, worked with Dr. Gannat and Dr. Yoham Tesfar of the Hebrew University to secure permission to, to fund and excavate this site. So the first excavation of this site began in December of 1983. By noon of the very first day, archaeologists have found an ancient village and well-preserved mosaic floor of a Byzantine-era chapel. So we're getting down there to 330. 
Yeah. That, and actually, a lot of that, that work was actually done by uh, students from the Utah, Utah Valley, Valley University. That's correct. Um, and uh, Glenn Kimber was involved with that. And also, Elder Hartman Rector Jr. Yes, my, Hartman my Rector was Hartman involved Rector in that. Involved in That's that. exactly correct. And they found that, that the, uh, some pretty amazing mosaics. Uh, one of them even shows the, uh, the boat the, mosaic. The Noah's Ark. Yeah. yeah it's <laughs> Noah's Ark mosaic and animals. And very fascinating. The creation, basically, it's all the creation is actually in this Byzantine chapel. A majority of this installation is underground. It's it's really fascinating. Uh, water cisterns and quarries, stables and olive presses. It's got mm -hmm. everything you need to be a, a very significant site. Um, the pottery has been dated and suggests that the population uh, that lived there would have been there from about 600 BC until 1500 AD. And then it disappeared. It just kind of fell out of existence. Mm -hmm. And so our interest in it is a couple of things. It's the word Jerusalem. It's the word Jehovah. It's um, two mummies and the art of mummification that were actually found by the Israeli government as they were plowing a road through there and, and discovered this site. It is the name Betlehe. It is it's right it's, next to the uh, Samson's well. Yep, next to Samson's well and close yeah. proximity within the land of the land of Jerusalem. Meaning, just, why is that a big deal? Well, okay, because you're kind of making it seem like that's a big deal. The land of it is know, a big so deal. What, what is that about? It is a big deal. <laughs> the land of this particular <laughs> phrase, this common phrase is found in the Book of Mormon, is uh, has actually been used by those who are not of our faith in an effort to try and say perhaps that uh, this reference to the land of Mormon is an anachronistic effort to try and say something when you really are something else. You're, you're trying to be two things at the same time, and so you lose, use this generic word. Um, but this, we're not, the Book of Mormon is not the first book of scripture or text that talks about the land of Mormon being the land of an individual's inheritance the area, the area surrounding, not specific to the city. So, so you're talking about there's a difference between when they say land of and city of and city of Correct. something. They're, they're two different. It could be actually the city could be a part of the land of. That's right. But the city is not necessarily the land of. That's correct. That's yeah. exactly correct. Um, I, there's a great example of this. Um, several times in the Mar Armana, the Armana is our letters that are written by Egyptians to the Canaanites. A political exchange, you might say. Um, they were discovered um, in 1887, and the Armana letters date to the 14th century BC. And in the Armana letters, this exchange, um, again, found in 1887, some 57 years after the publication of the Book of Mormon, we find continued references to the land of Jerusalem the land of Jerusalem, uh, between the Egyptians and the Canaans, talking about Jerusalem, but much more than Jerusalem. Five miles outside. Broader area. Yeah, five yeah. miles. Outside. North Salt Lake has got a name called North Salt Lake, but it's all kind of Salt Lake proper. It's, it's, <laughs> it's that, that approach that, that one has, mm -hmm. to, has to deal with. And then one I found that really interesting is just recently we found the land of Jerusalem in the Dead Sea Scrolls. And I thought this was really oh, interesting. Now that's interesting. Yeah, it is. It's, it's really fascinating. The quote is thus, And Jeremiah the prophet went from before the exiles who were brought into exile from the land of Jerusalem and were led by Nabzaradan 
chief escort, and he took the vessels of the temple of God and the priest and the children of Israel and led them to Babylon. So here we have a reference right from the Dead Sea Scrolls talking about the land, the land of Jerusalem. But so why is that significant then as it relates to Joseph Smith and the translation of the Book of Mormon? Because in Alma chapter 7, verse 10, it talks about a what would appear to be a discrepancy. It says that uh, the Savior was born in Jerusalem. Well, Which we, we know he was. We all know he's born, born in, in Bethlehem. Bethlehem. So, so, how does Bethlehem is a wonderful five miles away from <laughs> Jerusalem? <laughs> and so, again, using the phrases of the time, "land of Jerusalem," actually having that put in the Book of Mormon and referencing Bethlehem as a testament to the truthfulness of the Book of Mormon in using phrases that were common at that particular time, and not place names, but the land of. And uh, Joseph Smith had no idea that, that, that there would be a controversy there. He was simply um, translating what was listed. And yeah. land of Jerusalem refers to Bethlehem and the surrounding areas. Mm -hmm. Now this Bethlehem... would probably already also include Lehi's Bethlehem area. is... Actually, Bethlehem is 17 miles away. Yeah. But Hebron, which is 25 miles away, is still considered to be a part of Jerusalem by most people that live there. Yeah. So... Again, we don't want to get caught up in semantics, but we want to use the phrases that were common to the people at the time of the translation of the book, or at the time of the recording yes. of the Book of Mormon. And land of Jerusalem was a very common Jewish way of talking about it. Yeah. And so that's it is that's just that's another beautiful. one of those little nuances <laughs> that makes you appreciate well, the Book of Mormon. One of the things that I love about the, uh, about the, uh, the Betlehi area and probably one of, to me, one of the most impressive things was the columbarium. Yes, let's talk about that. Where, that's, where, they, where they would basically raise doves to be used as sacrificial animals, essentially, in the temple in yes, Jerusalem. Yes. And it's only 17 miles away, so people would come and pick up the doves in there. But this is impressive, the structures inside of here. Oh, it's incredible. Amazing. That, co that columbarium is, has 2,200 niches in the wall, triangular-type niches for the doves. For the doves. And they were, just like Bethlehem was the sacrificial lambs, it seems that Bethlehem would be the sacrificial doves. But to throw a little wrinkle in this, um, there was a church at Bethlehem. And the church has been looked at very, very closely. And it's a very unique church. It appears to have numerous um, worship rooms. It, it's, apparently there's a baptistry as a part of this church. Yep. But there's two altars there. One is lower than the other. It almost appears as if there's an Aaronic priesthood and a Melchizedek priesthood side to this. Perhaps the doves were sacrificial lambs for the temple that was at Bethlehem. Oh, the close one. Yes. Not just the one, at, or maybe not even for the one in, in Jerusalem. Perhaps not. Jerusalem was known for its uh, turtle doves also, but <coughs> lambs. Mostly lambs. Yeah, it's mostly lambs. And they came as sacrificial lambs from Bethlehem. Yeah, which, which, by the way, just as a, as a since we, the Christmas season has just ended and yes. so forth, um, uh, a few years ago there was some work that was done, and I, I actually sent out an, an email to all of our, our email subscribers and so forth about this uh, this, this this area um, of Jerusalem and uh, and how they uh, the, the, the the sheep that were bound to be used for the temple were actually birthed there and that, that that was the primary the shepherds that were there in bethlehem were the shepherds who took care of the temple sheep and it, and it's just fascinating to to understand that uh, when when joseph and mary showed up there um in bethlehem and that they were taught they, they were they were taken to a stable 
um, because there was no room, you know, for them, as it says in the inn, which basically is their 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 family members and so forth. There, um, that the shepherds that were told about the sacred birth of Christ actually may have been the very shepherds who tended the sheep bound for the temple yes. as sacrifices. Yes. And it's even even a very strong probability that the the place where the Savior was actually born was uh, I think it was uh, Medel Idar or something yes. like that. Yes. Um, may have been the actual place where the where they where they birthed the lambs um, from the ewes mm-hmm. of the of the sheep that were again going to be used as sacrifices in the temple, which would be amazingly symbolic. Yeah. That Christ would be born in the actual. Uh, location where these sheep were taken care of um, to be a the sacrifice in the temple, which ultimately he's the ultimate sacrifice. Kind of puts a <clears throat> little different spin on the good shepherd and the sacrificial. Yeah, and also lamb and, kind of explains why the, yes. why the angels came to yes. the to to, har- to hearken them. And, it, and it's interesting. Nowhere in the scriptures in the in the in the New Testament does it ever mention anything about the angels telling them where to go. Yeah. They knew instinctively where they were going to go to find the Christ child. Yes, because he was going to be born in the manger that they had. They were probably very familiar with because this is where they would go to to uh, birth those lambs. Yes, if in fact Bethlehem had a temple where mm-hmm. where sacrifices were there, um, there is possibility, I suppose, of a uh, of a connection with a. A high priest that was there, perhaps yes. managing, perhaps long before Lehi was there. And you might be looking at uh, Melchizedek priests. You might even be looking at Abraham paying tithes and offerings in that area. But bringing it back to the Book of Mormon, uh, could this place have been the home of 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 Lehi? And his family originally, or a place they came to, or left and went to once Lehi left. Certainly, suppose it could. I'm really intrigued, though, with the with the dating of the site being approximately 600 time frame. BC, and plus those inscriptions on the wall. In particular, yes, um, scriptures that say almost like it's a warning. You know, Jerusalem. Y- your time is is limited. Absolve us. Yes, absolve <laughs> us, O Judah. Yes, yeah. Um, yeah. and and some of those inscriptions and and even not so much the mosaics, but the etchings of men in boats fleeing, as as you read these right. quotes right under it. So those are those are pretty interesting things. They really are. It's a fascinating sight. Um, I talked to an archaeologist from Hebrew University one day, and he says, if we can find the time and the money, this could be the greatest archaeological site in all of Israel because of its size they, and the magnitude. Didn't come out because they were afraid that that might be um, taken down by people who don't want to have Israel recognized as being this. Yeah. And so they actually came in and actually took it out of the... They, they actually... It has. Went it's in been and, uh, lifted. Re- ...removed it from the wall so that nobody can desecrate it or, or change right. it or alter it. And where is that... Hebrew Hebrew University. University. Excuse me. The Hebrew Museum... It's the... It, it's the... Um, Israeli Museum. It's in town. It's in town. It's in Jerusalem outside of... Just mm-hmm. outside of Jerusalem. It's the... Uh, it's the Hebrew Museum... Um, that's there where they are showing the Dead Sea Scrolls also. Mm-hmm. So that's all can okay. be seen right in town if you wanted to see that. It's a triangular mm-hmm. piece that's really been lifted right out of the wall so that it can't be desecrated or it can't have uh, been targeted, you yeah. know. And 
Well, one of the things that going back to the to the text here. Yeah. So, and I just find this is also fascinating because uh, in in the in the the storyline, basically, you have after they 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 approach Laban to try to get the uh, the brass plates, they they're rejected. Uh, they leave. They go back, and they said that they went and, and they hid in a cavity of a cave or mm-hmm. something to that effect, right? Yes. Um, and that's when they got the bright idea to to, uh, to well, let's gather up all of our stuff. When they left, it's very highly unlikely that Lehi would have left all of his riches and everything sitting in his home, and all of his neighbors, the people around, that would know that they they've now vacated the premises and could have gone in and, and basically taken their stuff. Yeah. Apparently they might have they, they might have secreted some secret the the Their wealth basically the belongings into these areas and and also um, when when they went in the uh, you know Laban basically had them pursued to have them killed and they were able to basically lose the uh, the, the people you know the, the per, their pursuance basically their the, those who were trying to to uh, catch up with them. Um, there's some speculation. I think it's kind of an interesting idea to, to at yes. least to, to, to check out that maybe the boys left, and the reason why they were able to to ditch their pursuers because they knew of this one place yes. where no one else that no one else knew about, which had their which had all of their 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 riches, their wealth, and so forth of Lehi's family there, right. and that this might have been at Bet Lehi. Certainly could and have been. There was, and when they, when they, there was a, uh, they were do, they were making a road, as I understand, That's as, as, it, as that uh, they were going along with the, like a grader. I guess it fell into this cave-like structure. Yes. Well, my expertise is, is as a period historian, yes. and it's it's Joseph Smith's life, that epic, the, epic, the part of Joseph Smith. Right. So it just does my heart good as we continue to find. For example, as insignificant as it may seem, land of Jerusalem is really Joseph Smith just copying word for word what he was told to, and it ends up being a phrase that become a Hebraistic phrase used at the time, and mm-hmm. and it becomes just it, it's so heartwarming to be able to, <laughs> to find that your testimony just continues to grow and grow as we study more and more. Um, the way the Book of Mormon was translated. So, how how are these? How have these evidences that you have seen and that you've experienced and, and that you've, you know, even brought other people to the knowledge of? How have they affected your testimony of the Book of Mormon and Joseph Smith? Yeah, I'm a little bit like Truman Madsen. Uh, <laughs> I when he made his last address and gave his closing remarks and made the comment to some effect that uh, when he sees the Savior, it's not going to be any different than he knows now, because he knows now. He doesn't need to step across the veil, and I feel that strongly about the prophet Joseph Smith. It's just so endearing to me, though, to have guests or people inquiring about something with regards to the prophet Joseph Smith and be able to answer their questions. Um, I spend a lot of time in people's homes that have questions about Joseph Smith. Yeah. With the internet out there, which makes it very accessible to find information, um, a lot of what they all read about Joseph Smith is not accurate, and it's, it's not there. But Elder Ballard said that find your answers. You, as a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, have an obligation to answer people's questions. Right. And if you don't know the answer, find somebody that does. The answers are there, and it doesn't matter if it has to do with seer stones, polygamy, various versions of the first vision, the location of the Melchizedek priesthood restoration, or any other thing that might be somewhat controversial, or you might have a question about. There are answers to these questions. How about how about the date of the first vision? The date of the first vision. <laughs> 
That one. Should we open that that one up right now? <laughs> Bring me back another time. I'll be more than happy to address that. Yeah. All right. Listen, Kay, thank you so much for My coming pleasure. and being a part of this. Uh, we hope that everybody on the podcast are enjoying these uh, these this, this additional information. We hope that this additional uh, the insights and things that you're getting from this are uh, are leading you to a a deeper understanding of deeper belief and a and a and a stronger desire to read study and ponder the book of mormon just like we've been told by our leaders for a long time but i think it's becoming even more and more critical that we as uh, members of his restored gospel do so and not take it lightly amen i agree thank you you bet Thank you for listening to the Book of Mormon Evidence Podcast. If you enjoyed this Come Follow Me supplemental study, click the like button or share it with your friends.